From my dining table or my living room couch, and sometimes even my bedroom, this is Soon to Be Esquire, the podcast. I'm your host, Madison Tory. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming back to another episode and tuning in to Soon to Be Esquire, the podcast. I am your host, Madison Tory, and today we have another great episode with an amazing guest. Um, like I said before in the other episodes, this season is really about highlighting, highlighting some um, amazing individuals, some amazing women, some amazing people of color, Black women. I'm super excited about this season. And today we are actually going to have another amazing guest. She offers a different perspective as she is pre-law. She's in her senior year of undergrad right now going into law school, has gotten all the acceptances, all of the acceptances, um, and she's thriving right now. So I'm really excited to hear about her story and for um, you all to tune in, to listen in. We're going to have a great conversation today. So please help me in welcoming Amaya Ronsick. Thank you, Hi. thank you, thank you so much for coming today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. Um, like I told everyone, I'm extremely excited to have you on here um, to just, you know, for you to share your story. I think it's so important for everyone to share their stories on how they've gotten to where they are now in the legal field, because there's so few of us, especially Black women, there's so few of us. And um, I think the more that we're able to hear each other's stories, understand how someone was, when someone was able to get from point A to point G sometimes, yeah. it's important to know the obstacles that they've had, what worked for them, um, the people that supported them. So they're able to learn from that as well if they want to get to where we are or surpass that, you know? Mm -hmm. So thank you again for so much for being here. Let's go ahead and jump into the episode. I'm sure you're familiar with this question because I got this question from um, Adria Kimbrough and I was just like, oh my gosh, it's still stuck with me ever since she's asked me. So I want to know what is your why? Yes. So I think some things that I noticed in my community um, and just feedback that I got from Black people in general is that, um, or the Black people I grew up around, is that law or the court wasn't a useful tool for them, something that they thought they didn't have a part in. And, you know, that's understandable because of the experiences I've had in my family or in my community. And I just wanted to be, you know, someone that proved that that thought wrong. And then also as a Christian, I wanted whatever I did in life, no matter if it was my career or anything else, I just wanted to be a servant to God's mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's hard sometimes to do because you want to make money, you want to have a certain type of prowess. But if you're not, you know, serving the people that look like you, um, and I'm not saying everybody has to do that. But for my own personal mission, that's just something that I've always wanted to do um, even before I wanted to be a lawyer. So I'm just glad I found this route. Wow. You know, well, why don't we talk about that for a minute? Let's get into mm -hmm. your background. Um, what was your journey like from high school to Dillard? Uh, have you always kind of had this thought of, yes, I, I know an attorney, a lawyer, this is what I want? Actually, no. And a lot of people are surprised that I say that just because I'm so sure now. Mm -hmm. But um 
from the time I was eight until high school, I actually wanted to be a fashion designer. Um, Oh, yeah, I'm an artist. So I've been, you know, drawing since I was two years old. And my mom um, worked for a wedding magazine and would take me on photo shoots and stuff. But um, I just, you know, grew out of it. It it didn't, it wasn't my passion anymore. I didn't think I was serving anybody but myself. And there are some Mm. people who create powerful messages with the clothes that they create but that wasn't me I just I just like it just because Mm -hmm. so I still do it on the side but um I eventually you know was trying to find my niche I went to an engineering school for two years and I thought you know this could make me money this is something you know they're pushing I'm good at it I can code so I might as well and I always thought like law was interesting and that I wanted to do it but I was horrible at public speaking And at the time, I didn't know any lawyer, so I didn't know that you could do more than just be in the courtroom. Um, So I just, I pushed it to the side and I didn't think about it. And then I moved to Texas when I was 16 and they were all out of art classes, all out of the engineering classes and all that was left was law. So I took that class. I told my teacher, Mr. West, um, about, you know, my experience and how I was interested in law mm-hmm. and he put me on the mock trial team and then that just changed the whole trajectory of what I wanted to do it made me realize that I could do public speaking that I could be in the courtroom and now that's where I want to be like even right. though you can do so many things with a law degree is mm-hmm. actually what I was insecure about what I want to do now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I absolutely love that and I chuckled a bit when you said you couldn't stand public speaking because mm-hmm. now I'm like oh my goodness you are like <laughs> a dragon a lion when it comes to mock trial like you are on you are in it so (laughs) I just that is so ironic but you know I I definitely I recognize that I can reflect with that a bit because I think so many people whenever you get into law school you you find yourself you're like oh this is what I want to do and this is the area of law I think I'm interested in and most of the time it turns out being something that you are not interested at all, that you actually push to the side before you even have the opportunity to opportunity to um, try it. So mm-hmm. I definitely can recognize that. Now, yeah. going from high school to Dillard um, in your application process to schools, was Dillard a school that you always knew you wanted to go to? Was it specifically their pre-law program that you were like, okay, I know this is going to set me on the trajectory that um, I'm going to need to be on? No, (laughs) ma'am. I had no idea that Dillard existed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I did know that I really wanted to go to an HBCU because my mom went to Bethune-Cookman in Daytona Beach, Mm -hmm. Florida, where I was born. And she had she told me before I even knew what I wanted to do with my life. I was probably (laughs) seven years old knowing that I was going to an HBCU and two that I was going for free. So I I applied to other PWIs, but I just really wanted to go to an HBCU and a student who was on my mock trial team um, the year prior, Toya Smith, she mm. applied to Dillard and she went and she came back um, after a couple months, I think for like Thanksgiving or something. And she was she started telling me about it in urban studies as a major. And so I applied and it happened to be the first school I got into, the first school to give me money. And um, I kept like pushing it off. I'm like, no, but I want to go to Howard. I want to go to this school. And then like literally the day before the decision, I just I chose Dillard. Something about it felt right. Mm-hmm. They treated me more like a family and they 
felt invested in me. And so I came to learn later on how great the pre-law program was through Mrs. Kimbrough and just talking to her over the summer and then her getting me to try out for the mock trial team. I just would have fallen in love with it. Right. So during your time at Dillard, can you walk with us a bit about everything you've been involved in? Yeah. Because it's been, a, it's been a lot. I have seen you pop up, I mean, everywhere. Um, so yeah, just tell us a bit about your journey these past four years. Yeah. So freshman year, I think all I might have done was POTUS and mock trial. Um, I'm tr- I can't really think of too much else. I know I did inspire her, which was, you know, an organization. <laughs> that you put together and I helped come up or well, not come up with that but I helped organize the event mm-hmm. with you um but sophomore year I branched out a little bit more um I joined my friend's organization the National Association of Blacks and Criminal Justice um uh what is it called Blue Voter Society um then junior year I helped out a little bit with Royal Court just their elections I stayed with mock trial. By this time, I was the vice president, so I was a lot more hands-on with mm-hmm. everyone else on the team, not just myself. Um, and then I also started a fellowship called In Our Own Voice National Black Women's Reproductive Justice Organization. Yes. I just am in love with the work that I do there. I think, you know, we started off kind of small. What we did was do some education around um, just feminine hygiene and wellness and, you know, what's safe to put in our bodies or how to handle our bodies. Um, And then I also started a internship with Hamilton Law, which is a black owned law firm in New Orleans where we do personal injury. So, you know, I'm drafting petitions, interrogatories. I just did an opposition to a motion today and it was so nerve wracking because they treat treat me like a lawyer. And sometimes I look at them and I'm like, you guys do know I'm 21, but um, (laughs) Yeah, I've been doing all of those things for a while now. I don't I don't think I have anything else different this year except for the fact that I'm now the president of mock trial. Mm-hmm. So I've I've been growing in, in that position. It it's truly amazing to see um the organization that you started at Dillard in her own voice. Oh my goodness. The work that you all have done. It's truly so important in the black community. I mean, when it comes to feminine hygiene, as you were saying, and also sex education. Oh my goodness. It's looking back at my own high school experience, what was lacked so much when it comes to sex education. They give you like 20 minutes in PE, open a quick textbook that's 10 years old. Um, And they're like, yep, that's it. And boom, there you go. Oh, okay. Thank you so much for (laughs) that detailed information. What with a little five minute video you get in middle school, like, no, that's not sufficient enough. So, right, I applaud you and I commend you for the all the work that you've been doing. Thank but you. I mean, even with your work at Hamilton, oh my goodness, it's amazing that you are getting hands on experience with interrogatories. I had no idea what that was <laughs> until um like second semester my 1L years. Oh my goodness, it is so amazing all of the things that you have been exposed to. Um could you talk with us a bit about I guess just some of the exposure that you have gotten these past 2 years and how you think that will help you going into, you know, your first year of law school. Yeah, so the biggest thing I think that was helpful was a summer law program that I did 
at University of Buffalo in New York. Mm -hmm. And I went in, I had major imposter syndrome. um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, they gave us about a month or two of what you would take during your 1L year. And of course, like some of the stuff is condensed because it's only like a month and a half. And um, I think I was taking torts, um, con law. I know I did an LSAT prep course. I did, um, I forgot what it's called, like a lawyer class, Mm -hmm. legal analysis, writing and reading, Um, just classes like that. And I also did another program like that at University of Miami in Florida. And I think that was probably the biggest help because before I was like, okay, this is something that I want to do, but do I have the capacity to do it? Do I have brain power? Am I smart enough to do this? And I think that just gave me the confidence, like, okay, this is going to be hard, but you know, it's not something that I should be afraid of. I can just, you know, I I, I'm very confident now. I know there's going to be struggles. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. my friends who are who were seniors last year who are in their one L year. They tell me about their experiences all the time. Mm -hmm. So I know that there will be struggles, but I'm at least confident that you know I have a little bit of you know I know what to expect. Right you really hit on something so important there, capacity. Mm-hmm. I mean, knowing and having that confidence that, okay, you are capable, that like you said, there are going to be challenges and trials, but knowing that, okay, I have the ability to perform at a level that's expected of me. And you know what? Even if I am below that mark, I'm going to continue um, mm-hmm. to do the work that's required of me. I think that's the most important thing about really any type of profession when you kind of get past undergrad is when you start, it's really that hustle. It's about, do you have that drive? Do you have the determination to continue and keep going and Mm -hmm. to do what's required of you? What's just simply being asked of you? I think that's so important. Um, So hitting on a bit about your experiences that has kind of, helped you in preparing for what seemed to be your first year of law school. Could you walk with us through um, your application process? So as soon as you were like, okay, I got to study for the LSAT or um, let me think of my personal statement, letters of recommendation, all of that. um, Could you walk with us through that? Yeah, I am grateful to have had Mrs. Kimbra as a mentor because she had already been you know, prepping us since freshman year. She Mm -hmm. told us, you know, this is, you know, the date or around the date you're going to take your LSAT. This is when you're going to start applying for law school. So I already had in the back of my mind what my timeline would look like. And it was last year, January, when I took my diagnostic test with the LEAD program and started studying for the LSAT. Um, I first sat for it in June. So I did nothing but LSAT. I didn't even I might have researched law schools a little bit, but I didn't even go too far in depth because I don't, I'm like, I don't even know what my mm-hmm. options are yet. So I took the test in June 1st, didn't really like my score. I took it again in August and increased. And um, from then on, I just started prepping my application. So I started with my personal statement, um, which had like five rounds of edits, probably more. And it went through maybe five different people's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my diversity statement, um, by the, by September, I already had my list of schools. I had already gone to a few forums to talk to the people. So I knew what I wanted out of a school. 
And then um, everything else was just like the extra stuff, like actually doing the the registration and stuff on CAS, doing the optional essays, the scholarship essays, right. which took longer than I expected. But um, I finished around November, that first week of November. Oh, wow. That's wow. That is great timing. <laughs> yeah, that is really good. And, you know, what's key there is, you know, you finishing so early, you're early on enough before many other applicants to really have those scholarship opportunities They're you know, they're sending that money out. Yep. So when looking for schools, what, what exactly were you looking for school? What were your values? What were your priorities that you had to have in a school? What were some of the things that you were willing to kind of give away with the schools that you were applying to? Okay. So I was actually looking at this the other day because I was sending this list to the new lead students. I'm actually the Mm. TA and just like reminding myself of what I was looking for. I wanted a school with a really strong criminal law um, program. And I know every school is going to have a a pretty good one, but I wanted death penalty clinics. I wanted like stuff like that. And um, not everyone, not every school had one. And that was important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted good experiential learning, um, especially during the breaks. So there's this one school I applied to where Brian Stevenson um, runs a clinic. And I think he takes his students to Alabama over winter break. That I really wanted to be a part of. Um, or just programs like that where I was going to mm-hmm. get hands-on experience. That was important to me as far as programming. I wanted a school that if I decided to continue trial ad or even go on to moot court, that they had a strong program. So a lot of the schools are either nationally ranked as far as mock trial or, you know, the the program is they just run like really good tournaments like Georgetown has a white collar crime tournament. So I was looking at that. And then as far as like other qualities that have nothing to do with programming, I wanted a school that if it wasn't super diverse, that the city was at least diverse. So I looked at a lot of schools in DC because of the black population there and right. just the opportunity to be around black professionals, even if I'm not in the space. I wanted a school that even if it wasn't like 50% of people looking like me, mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to go to the grocery store and not you know, be nervous because I'm the only one that looks like me there. Right. So that was important to me. I'm also like from Miami, so I have I have family in rural areas, but I'm more comfortable around like city life. Mm-hmm. So I wanted a school that was at least close to that or that just reminded me of home in some way. Um, and so a lot of my like the cities look kind of like Miami. We have, you know, Haitian Americans, Bahamian Americans, Cuban Americans, just so many different nationalities. And a lot of the schools are in those areas. And if they're not then the school has a really big commitment to diversity. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I was trying to make sure that had a good balance. And then some of the stuff was just small and simple. Like what would transportation look like? What would cost of living look like if I didn't get um, on campus housing? So that was important to me. Um, There are a lot of trade-offs that I made, like maybe the city wasn't as diverse, but this is the type of programming they offer and I can't pass that up. So, you know, places like Harvard, um, Mm. I'm I'm pretty sure Cambridge is not the most diverse city in America, but, you know, they have clinics and like they check off the list everywhere else. They have clinics and everything that I'm interested in. So, um, you know, there were some things that I, I had to like put aside just to apply to the school, but those were the general things that I was looking at. Mm-hmm. 
in looking for schools with this checklist that you kind of had, how did you really research for schools? Like, did you just go onto LSAC's website and like, okay, here are schools A to Z. Did you look at U.S. News's rank of schools? And like, okay, I see that what rank they have, their position. Um, let me go on their website, see the clinics that they offer, as you mentioned, um, see what type of community they're in. Oh, this is the location what was kind of your process in actually doing research on schools? So I think, I don't know if this is unorthodox what I did, but I looked at every single law school in the country just because I'm wow. so, yeah, I know some people are just like, okay, this is what I want. Let me only look at the schools here. Mm-hmm. But I th- I don't know what I was going through at the time, but I was just like, but what if this school I'd never heard of is, is my dream school? So right. I looked at every single school and then how I narrowed it down was first based off of programming. And then I looked at like location, what the students looked like. And then I started going to the forums to ask follow-up questions about what mm. it appeared to look like on their on their website. So a school could say, oh, we're committed to diversity, this, this, and this. But for instance, I, I questioned this one highly ranked school at the LSAC forum, and I asked about diversity and the answer was just subpar. It mm-hmm. didn't seem like there was a real commitment there. And so I had to take this school that I was really interested in off. Wow. And, you know, they are a top five program. So yeah. I um I had to ask those like brutally honest questions to see what, you know, if if what they were saying was matching what they were putting on the website. Because you can say, you know, we we have these employment outcomes, but if the programming that you're telling me about doesn't align with what, you know, I want to do, then that means the students are having to do something extra to get to where they're going. It's Mm -hmm. not really the institution. So just asking those hard questions first. And then um, I followed up with just looking at um, scholarship numbers and stuff, the ABA reports, Mm -hmm. the 509s. And, um, you know, if students like um, students of color were leaving the school after their first year. I'm then going to ask questions about, you know, why do students tend to leave after their first year? Or if, you know, no one in the school is being offered full rides or full Mm -hmm. plus, then that's a, that's something that I have to ask them about. Like, do you guys offer um, additional scholarships, need-based scholarships? What does it look like if you get a scholarship, but your GPA falls? Like, do you keep it? Do you have to go on academic probation? Like all of those questions about the financial aspect are important because, you know, I'm going to be graduating from Dillard debt-free. I've never had to look at a loan, anything. So I'm kind of thinking. <laughs> Come on. I'm, if, if I decide to take one out, that's not my first choice. It, this is going to be a new process for me. I've never done it before. So I have right. to know that my school basically has my bag mm. and is just trying to get in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Having that mindset is so key. And I think you truly have done an amazing job by being so headstrong at these mm-hmm. forums where all you know the law schools are at with their representatives and asking these tough questions. Because I think so many of the time, even for me, I didn't have really a list of schools. I was thinking, oh, okay, it's my sophomore year. Okay, it's my junior year. Here's a list of schools that I think I'm interested in. I had no idea where I wanted to be at the time, no idea what area I wanted to practice in or what state I even wanted to be in. 
So I was just asking a lot of general questions, but I really think using that opportunity to ask some of the tough questions and real questions that you're going to need to know, especially when it comes to the financial aid side, when it comes to the community support aspect as well, because that's really what's going to get you through law school. You're dealing with it every single day. Um, It's already a struggle enough as it is. And using those forums are so key because visiting law schools are extremely expensive as well. Like who is having the time to take away every weekend or take away from school with all the assignments that you have going on and mock trial competitions you have going on to fly from here and there, then ask these questions, try to get an appointment. Taking advantage of that forum is extremely key. So Mm. amazing job there. Thank you. Another question I have for you is, so coming out of Dillard, Mm -hmm. kind of closing this chapter, starting a new chapter, do you have any concerns with what may come in August? Any fears there? Um, I'm trying to think. The first, like the most prominent fear I have is just not being able to I guess, be on my own financially. Mm-hmm. Um, that's only because I'm applying for my financial aid for most schools right now. Mm-hmm. So that's just like what's on my mind. Just, you know, the idea of maintaining a good credit score. Right. I, I'm, I'm hopeful that I, you know, if I have to have an apartment that it wouldn't be too expensive. I know that, you know, my parents might be willing to help with that part, but it's, it's going to be new for them. They've never had a child go to graduate school and I'm, you know, I'm their firstborn. So this is new for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want to make the wrong decision when it comes to that. And then as far as like the workload right now, I do have like a lot on my plate. So I think I've been kind of prepping myself for this moment. Right. You know, I know I'm a college student, but at the same time I'm preparing for something bigger. Mm-hmm. And so I've never wanted to be just too lax to where I don't, you know, it's a complete shell shock when I get to law school and that I'm not used to this much work. I'm you, I'm used to something, and I know that it's going to be a lot more when I get there. But as far as, you know, maintaining that, I think the only thing would be to how long is it going to take me to get into my groove of, you know, when I wake up, how often I study, how long I study. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's some classes in college where I might not have to study for the entire year. Right. And there are others where I do. I think the most amount of studying I've ever done was for the LSAT, which took me eight months to study for. But this is something completely different because I'm studying for multiple classes all at once. And I think that's going to be really new to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you started any habits or practices to help you kind of com- combat, um, you know, these difficult times, these mm-hmm. concerns that you're describing right now? Right now is just time management. I think... Um, before, maybe like in high school, in the first couple of years of college, I was a big procrastinator. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, a lot of people say, well, when you procrastinate, those couple hours before mm-hmm. the due date, like that's when you get the best workout. And I'm just like, I think we've just groomed ourselves to believe that. And that's right. not actually true. But right now I'm working on addressing why I'm so uncomfortable starting whatever task that I'm starting and getting in front of that to make the process of actually doing it easier. So if I'm nervous because I think it's gonna be hard, I address that. Or if I'm nervous because I think it's gonna take too long, I might break it up in sections so that it doesn't. So I'm working on that. 
And I've gotten a lot better with my time management, my scheduling, even like I think being in the lead program helped a lot with that yeah. because with the LSAT, of course, I couldn't go to every function. I couldn't go to every dinner or brunch with my friends. Mm -hmm. And one of my friends actually kind of put me on the spot this one time and was like, yeah, you know, you have to pencil in to to hang out with the mind. You have to she has to put mm -hmm. you in your schedule or it's not going to happen. And I felt bad. But at the same time, I had, you know, a goal that I was reaching for. Yeah. So I had I had to schedule my meals, my sleep, all of that. And I am perfectly fine with it because I'm getting stuff done ahead of time and I'm not stressed out. And I think that, you know, was even more helpful when I was applying to law school and I wasn't turning stuff in late or I was, you know, in a good groove to where I wasn't overly stressed out. So I'm hopeful that that's going to help out. You know, I know there's going to be new stressors, but just being able to manage my time and prioritize when I'm doing what I think is going to be a helpful tool. No, that's amazing. I think you're even getting some amazing practice in when it comes to social life and sometimes there's friends and family members that don't always understand that mm -hmm. this is a commitment. This is an investment in myself and our future. Um, yeah. I'm trying to do work for so many others as well. And I think maybe when they start to understand that, you know, they'll, they'll be like, Oh, okay. I see. They'll empathize a bit more, but you know, yeah. there's other times where there are some friends that just can't understand and, Moving on and knowing that, okay, it's okay. Um, I'll try to make time for them out, you know, sometime, <laughs> gotta pencil them <laughs> in. But um, sometimes you do have to move on. So I think you're getting amazing, amazing practice there. Yeah. Um, another question I have for you is what are you most looking forward to? So, besides the obstacles, the challenges that are going to come, what are you excited for when it comes to law school and this next chapter for you? Um, I think more so long term as far as law school, two well, three L year, I'm excited for the experiential learning opportunities. Because mm -hmm. there's only one school I apply to that guarantees like clinics and stuff every single year, like it's actually a requirement. Um that you have a job during law school because it's like a part of their curriculum. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I'm just excited to you know, get into those two years just because um, most of the schools I apply to, you have to wait. And then being able to balance a little bit more, maybe do mock trial, learn more about law review, see what that's like, um, just to have more on my plate other than classes. But as far as like, you know, what I'm looking forward to, my 1L year is finally understanding the why behind, behind certain things that are happening. Yeah. So I know people are taking contracts, torts, um, they're bending their minds in a way that they've never had to before. Mm -hmm. And I know that can be scary to have to think critically so much, but at the same time, there are a lot of things going on that we don't necessarily understand. There's a history behind it. There's, you know, some, some law behind why something is going on. And I'm right. excited to just finally have the answer. Cause there's people now in my family, they're like, does Amaya practice family law? Like, no, I don't. I graduated college. But, you know, they'll ask me questions. And I, I'm like, I don't have the answer for you. And I'm like, I can't give it. Like, I, I'm not a lawyer. But right. I'm ready to actually be able to offer that, even though I, I'm sure it will be a little bit more annoying. There'll be more questions. But just being able to give them something, I think. Right. Be yeah. Be a type of resource for them. That's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. 
Well, Amaya, thank you so much for allowing me to ask you some of these questions and getting your perspective that we really haven't had yet on the podcast. I know it's going to be so, so crucial for a lot of people listening in. Um, before we go, I would love to just get one last, one last answer from you. Okay. <laughs> what advice would you give to anyone aspiring to be in the legal field, whether that's an attorney, paralegal, law clerk, whatever they see fit? Um, this is something that I had to grow to understand. Um, have a plan, but don't have it so mapped out to where you can't maneuver if something, you know, happens or or puts you off track. Mm-hmm. With me, when I was studying for the LSAT, I was like, okay, this next test, I'm going to increase five points on here. The next test, I'm going to increase three. Like, I tried to plan everything wow. to a T. I try, like, I tried to just be so in control of my experience instead of, you know, letting God show me where I should go. And not everybody mm-hmm. believes in God, but just personally for my own growth, I had to instead of trying to have a path of my own and make him follow and make everything happen for mm-hmm. me, I had to let him show me the path and then follow the steps that he was outlining for mm-hmm. me. And whether or not you believe in a higher power, I think just for yourself, you should know, okay, not everything is going to happen according to what you've planned. There's going to be other outside factors. There's going to be, you know, your your path might deviate. You might find something else that you're passionate about and you have to be willing to embrace that and not be afraid to walk in that. I think a lot of times we want something to happen or we want something, you know, bigger down the line, but then we're afraid of the steps it takes to get mm-hmm. there or we're afraid of getting off path or walking in our purpose. And I think just doing all of that combined and being able to embrace what's unknown, I think is very important. There's a quote that I um I heard a, a couple months ago and it talks about like the fear of what might happen and like what happens when you have a goal and it says you can handle anything in the moment but it's our fear of what might happen that undoes us and i think a lot of the times we're afraid to walk in our purpose we're afraid to do something that's not on the path we've created or we're afraid to follow god because we don't know what happens in that process we don't mm, like so it, good. yeah we're working ourselves up we're getting anxious when it could be a lot simpler than that so that's something that i'm trying to follow right now Woo, so good. You have just dropped a word on us that we will have for the rest of the day, for the rest of the weekend. Oh my goodness. This is this is gonna be good. Amaya, once again, thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having the spirit, the energy, the confidence that you do. Thank you for having the faith that you do to walk in God's purpose for your life. Um being an example of that as well. Truly. Thank you. you. And it was so good to hear from you again. Good hearing from you too. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, oh, good luck also on this upcoming competition, the weekend of March 11th. Dillard is going to kill it. Kill it. Oh my gosh. Yes. Y'all are going to do amazing. Thank you. Well, y'all, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Soon to Be Esquire. Be sure to tune back in another two weeks um, to listen in on the next episode. Thanks, y'all, for listening.